You're listening to a Natural Products Insider podcast, now on Google Play. With Sandy Almendares, Editor-in-Chief. Brought to you by Supply Side West, October 15th through the 19th in Las Vegas. Podcast. I'm Sandy, and I'm super excited to have Alon Sudberg on the phone. He is CEO of Alchemist Labs. Hi, Alon. Hey there. How are you? Great. Thank you so much for joining me today. We are going to talk about DSHEA, the Dietary Supplement Health and Education Act of 1994. And that means it's been 25 years since the law has passed. Well, 25 in this October. And insiders celebrating with a series of podcasts with folks who use the law in what they do every day. Um, Duche gave supplements a, a home, so to speak, in the, in the regulatory framework in the United States. So as I mentioned, Alana is at Alchemist Labs, which is a contract testing laboratory that specializes in plant authentication, botanical ingredient identification, and quantitative analytical services, the food, beverage, nutraceutical, cosmeceutical, and now the cannabis industries. Alon holds a degree in chemistry from California State University, Long Beach, and he has authored numerous journal articles on phytochemistry and analytical techniques for natural products and nutraceuticals. He's a board member of the American Herbal Products Association, as well as APA's Education and Research on Botanicals Foundation. So first, Alon, how does Alchemist use Deshay in its day-to-day operations? You know, we actually help our clients comply with Deshay. Uh, since we don't produce any products, our use of Deshay is limited to providing third-party quality control to the industry to help them comply with the federal regulations. Deshay established safeguards like GMPs, the 21 CFR 111, and NDIs, and it helped to create the lab reality that we know, love, and thrive from. It not only put Alchemist Labs and our competitors on the map, it essentially created the map. So on that point, I note, noted from the website that Alchemist was founded in 1997, which was three years after Deshaies passed. I don't know if you were exactly at the company specifically then, but I know you, you, were, around, you were around the company then, of course. So did the passage of the law create a path that led to Alchemist Labs founding, or what was the timeline like for that? Yeah, absolutely. We we uh, wouldn't be around without Deshay, so thank you, Lauren Erson and uh, Scott Bass. But in, in all seriousness, Deshay spawned the GMPs, which have obviously been beneficial for the quality of this industry as well as labs. Uh, we never said, uh, oh, cool, Deshay passed, let's start a lab, uh, probably because when we did start the lab uh, a few years after Deshay, we didn't even know about Deshay. Um, and actually, Lauren and his wife, Corinne, paid us a visit a few years uh, later and uh, predicted we'd be very busy someday. Uh, it did unfortunately take the FDA, FDA a ridiculously long time uh, to issue the GMP guidelines, but once they did, more companies began testing, and those serious about plant identity potency uh, came right to us. Right. So as you noted, Deshay itself didn't talk much about testing specifically, except for the inherent need for testing to ensure that products are safe and meet product claims. It was really the GMPs, the good manufacturing practices, that laid out testing requirements. Um, but of course, that took, they weren't issued until 2007. So, what effect did the GMP specifically have on, Al- on how Alchemist Labs operated? Yeah, so when the GMPs were finally passed in 2007, 
uh, we had already been identifying the industry's plants for 10 years. Uh, we heard rumblings in the distance that GMPs were coming and eagerly awaiting that day, of course. It was slow going before that, and thanks to the handful of best-in-class companies who were compliant with the TGA, that's the Therapeutics Goods Association in Australia, essentially their FDA. So the clients we had at that time were compliant with those regulations. We kept pretty busy. Of course, then around 2007, we got really, really busy over the course of the three years of implementation, which were tiered based upon uh, company size. We hired all the friends and family we could find uh, with the appropriate educations or training, uh, all the way to including my hairstylist neighbor and ultimately a teacher assistant who was in my advanced organic chemistry course in college. It's funny because I would go to school, I would listen to Luke instruct me in the class on how to set up our experiments that day, and then when he and I would race later back to work where he would report to my father to run HBTLC samples when I did sales, marketing, microscopy, accounting, HR, and uh, even cleaning toilets back in the day. Uh, so the GMPs did a great job expressing the importance of identity testing, which was pretty much all we did back then. And so we instantly saw a huge increase in sales. It was, it was and always has been our specialty. Um, the other labs existed, did just about everything, and weren't really known for anything specific. So we got a lot of that HBTLC business uh, very quickly. That's so interesting. I, I love hearing that story of how you had to hire all these people and, you know, pulling people out of the woodwork, but it, obviously you, yep. it, it did well and you guys found the right people. So per Deshay, FDA has the authority and can audit supplement contract labs the same way that it audits contract manufacturers in the supplement space, yet I'm not aware of the agency actually auditing any contract labs. Um, do you expect that FDA will start doing this? Should they start? Yeah, so uh, they haven't in the past, but they just did, and I'm pleased. A while back, I spoke at the FDA in Irvine, um, in California, and uh, it was alongside some other industry leaders about quality issues in the industry. And while I was on the panel, I asked the panel and the FDA the question of when do audits happen for labs? When does the FDA come audit the labs? And they said a lab's got to mess up really bad for them to audit them. That said, it's public information that a recent FDA warning letter was issued to ABC Testing Labs over in Tustin, California, just a city over from us, for a handful of serious violations while testing in the 211 realm, which is pharmaceuticals. The violations revealed uh, that the lab is well known for testing dietary supplements as well. That's part 111. So yes, 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 the FDA should audit contract labs, and they can start with mine if they'd like, so we can set the standard of how botanical testing labs should operate. The GMPs were forged, leaving too much room for interpretation. Uh, unfortunately, it said use a scientifically valid method, which is really an extreme but accurate simplification of what the rule calls for and allows for exploitation of a gaping hole of interpretation and services by those who are comfortable with willful ignorance. Um, that's one of my favorite um, statements in this industry is willful ignorance. The level of proficiency in labs really varies widely. and manufacturer commitment to testing to get the truth as opposed to testing to get checked off a box with accuracy being superfluous. So I did notice that that ABC lab, but you know, didn't really know for, applied to the supplement industry because as you noted, it's for pharmaceuticals. Uh, perhaps you're more aware, are there, is, are, does FDA test pharmaceutical contract labs? Or was this yeah, really the first one that you've heard in that one as well? Yeah, that's, I mean, it's the first one I've heard uh, of labs in general in a, uh, that I can recall. And like, like I said, the, the violation was for 211 Pharmaceutical, but in that warning letter, they did mention that this lab does do a lot of work in the dietary supplement industry for Part 111 for companies in our industry 
um, that we know very well. So it was a big wake-up call, uh, hopefully for that lab and hopefully for the industry, for choices in labs, how to choose a lab, how to audit a lab, those types of things. I love your call to action to FDA to come to, come to Alchemist. We are ready any day. <laughs> any day. <laughs> so if you could change anything about Deshay, what would you change? Yeah, so my responses, I want to make clear, are only from the perspective of the lab, since I'm not a manufacturer. Uh, I am a longtime member of APA and on the board, and so I know the frustrations uh, that the APA members are experiencing. Um, but my recommendations are, of course, from the narrow perspective of competing in the lab sector uh, and not from producing products. With that said, I do have a list. Uh, imagine that. So I would love it if the Shea was fixed and had a mandatory lab accreditation and licensing of internal and third-party labs. I want to make that clear. Third-party labs and internal labs. There's a lot of companies in this industry that have internal labs. They are just as liable uh, to the quality of the products than would be a third-party lab. Uh, next, I would want a mandatory competency testing of internal labs and third-party labs. So uh, accreditation would be one competency testing uh, uh, to you know, specify that the lab is good at what they say they're supposed to be doing. Um, in addition to that, I think uh, FDA audits of internal and third-party labs should be occurring. I think that they should define scientifically valid since it's been exploited for too long without regard for fit for purpose. Uh, specific method technologies must be determined. They just said use science. They didn't say use a specific method that is good for testing plants. As an example, too many in this industry use FTIR or NIR improperly on botanicals when it was originally intended to be used on very fine uh, chemicals. Of course, algorithms and computers make everything better, but there are better methods to test plants than FTIR and NIR. Um, so that's one, if, it, if they did define which methods should be used. And then, so glad the manufacturer of my vitamins have deployed skip lot testing, said no consumer ever. No one's going to be happy that a lab deployed skip lot testing. That, to me, should be eliminated for botanicals. If it's a fine uh, pharmaceutical-like or dietary supplement-like ingredient, possibly, that's okay, but the variety of constituents in plants from season to season, from region to region, makes it very complicated uh, from batch to batch that skip lot testing is really a bad idea. Uh, and then lastly, um, finished product label claims should be verified and with a valid test method by an internal or third-party lab. You have caffeine in green tea, that's easy to measure. You have caffeine in an extract of green tea, that's easy to measure. Once you put that product together, that same caffeine number can't be used on the bottle. And unfortunately, it is being used on the bottle because basically essentially uh, appeal to ignorance that no method exists, therefore none, none has to be created. The fact is labs are available to make those methods. You just have to pay for them. No method exists because no one has paid for them yet. And lastly, which is the funniest part about all of the things I just mentioned, almost all of them happen to be required for labs testing in the state of California by the Bureau of Cannabis Control. So they don't mess around. It's very clear how they want you to test the cannabis, uh, what equipment, what methods, and it's, I find it very interesting that the cannabis industry is far more aggressive about good testing than the conventional herb industry. I don't like to um, bash where I call home, but the fact is cannabis is light years ahead as far as the regulations on how the government and how the regs are set for how they test it. There's no wiggle room on quality. You test THC with this method, you test um, pesticides with that method, and there's no wiggle room for interpretation. Uh, I think we can all take a look at that and learn from it. 
Excellent. Well, that's quite the list. And for those who may not know, could you give a, give a brief uh, explanation of skip lot testing? Yeah, so skip lot testing is a statistical practice uh, found mostly in the pharmaceutical industry where very fine chemicals are being created uh, in one plant. And so the variety of, of, of issues are, are uh, few and far between. So uh, the FDA has smiled upon uh, some sort of st skip lot testing, essentially, where you can skip every other lot or some batch-to-batch -batch type of testing. Um, the fact is that batches it go through untested. Um, and maybe that's okay when you're, all you're making is acetaminophen or vardenafil or whatever it is, but plants uh, are different batch-to-batch. -batch. You can grow a tomato in all of our gardens from the same seed, and you'll come up with different tomatoes. So if you're missing one batch, you're missing out on data points that are really critical. We believe very strongly that skip lot testing uh, should not be deployed uh, in the plant analysis field. Excellent. Well, thank you for that clarification. And of course, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast and talking about Deshay. My pleasure. I'm honored to be chosen. Thank you. And for those listening, I want to note that Alon has an article coming up in Insider's Contract Labs Digital Magazine, where he talks about how supplement brands that reveal their testing labs is a smart way to demonstrate transparency. So make sure you check that out when it's live uh, at the end of July. For more award-winning podcasts from industry experts, go to insider.com and click in the podcast section. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts or Google Play by searching Healthy Insider Podcast. Hit subscribe to never miss an episode. To join the conversation about the health and nutrition industry, leave a comment on the podcast's Twitter, Facebook, or SoundCloud account. This episode has been brought to you by Supply Side West, October 15th through the 19th in Las Vegas.